Thank you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the privilege of having and hearing and knowing and obeying your word. We uh, thank you, Father, for the beauty of the story of Ruth. We thank you, Father, for the, the ways that you are applying this to our lives in this Advent season. And as we come to the conclusion, Lord, we ask you to shape our understanding of Christmas, Lord, our understanding of your sovereign grace, our understanding of your working in history, and our, our belief that you are working in our families in much the same way right now. So we offer ourselves to you as we study this text, that you would have your way and reach into each heart who's present here and listening to this recording, that you would be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. Well, this is the Christmas before Christmas, the story of the book of Ruth, of the birth of this young boy in Bethlehem, 1,000 years or so approximately before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And we've been tracking through uh, the story of Ruth, walking in chapter 1 by faith. Uh, Chapter 2, we see the grace of God pouring out on on Ruth. Chapter 3, which Jamie took us through last week, uh, Ruth walks in risky obedience, in risky obedience to what God is doing. And I love how he uh, shared with us, uh, Jamie shared with us that this obedience uh, is very tied to rest. And that when we walk in the ways of God, we enter, the book of Hebrews says, we enter his rest. And we do that by faith. And when we're in that place of walking with him, we are yoked with him. So we are uh, yoked in, the, in his presence. So the shalom of the king is over us as we walk with him. And then we discover, as, as we continue, that our, our rest actually resides in the Father. It actually resides in the, in the knowledge and the presence and the relationship with God, which Jesus opened up for us. So Ruth, we coming in today to the final episode. And as you've heard, it ends... Uh, very dramatically, maybe perhaps better than some of these other final episodes that are running around, uh, running around our culture here today. Uh, although I can say in Ruth's case, and this is maybe where they got the idea, there will be a sequel, of course, which is the birth of Jesus, and there will be a sequel to that, which is his return. So uh, today we're going to talk a lot about destiny. We're going to talk about Uh, the destiny that Ruth walks into, actually that all the players in this story walk into. And destiny is not fate, it's not karma, uh, but it's actually the fulfillment of the purpose that the Messiah has for our lives. And that this is walked into by obedience and faith and rest and into the arms of the Father. That's our destiny. We're going to see how that played out in Ruth's life 
And um, I just want to look at the next couple of weeks just to show you how this is going to tie together. So on, on Christmas Eve, we're going to be talking about awe because we're going to be in the first chapter of Matthew. We're going to see how God weaves this story into the lifeline of the Messiah. And if he can do that, and if he can bring all these things to bear, then imagine what he's going to bring to bear as we follow him faithfully uh, into our futures. So he is at work, and this should produce awe. This should produce awe that these historical events are lining up and falling into sequence, uh, and will continue to do that. So that will be our meditation for Christmas Eve. And then on Sunday, one week from now, we're going to have our family worship service, as Jamie said, And hopefully some of us can do that audit of how God worked in 2019 and how he wants to work in 2020 because we're going to be looking at the theme of hope. Because when you see how God worked in the beginning to promise in chapter 3 verse 15 of Genesis that a Messiah would come out of uh, the woman's line, out of her historical line, and how that was fulfilled through this story that we've studied, how it's fulfilled in Christ, and then how his return uh, is what we await now. And when he returns, we're going to be returning. Those of us that are in Christ are going to be returning with him. That's kind of hard to imagine, but that's what the scriptures say. So uh, this should give us hope. And when we're going through tough times in our family, as many of you are, when we're going through seasons where we're wondering, like, where is God? Where is that promise that he made that it may not be happening on our timetable, but it is being worked by the faithful Alpha and the Omega, and it will be fulfilled. And so that produces hope. So that's what we're going to do next week as we... Say goodbye to 19 and say hello to 2020. And uh, this destiny idea, I want to just give you a promise out of the Psalms that is really behind this whole message. And it's in Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord says that I will fulfill his purpose for me. I will fulfill my purpose for you. This is a promise to all those that are in Christ Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. That's the guarantee of the promise. And do not forsake the work of your hands. That's the waiting for the promise. And these are the things that are coming. So today, in this message, I'm going to be talking about the fulfillment of this story in the redemption of Ruth and Naomi. So the the primary theme of this message is redemption, the redeeming of the, the... the, the two ladies, the property, and all that was riding on that is a story of redemption. That Boaz uh, acquired Ruth. It actually, that word also means redeemed Ruth. So that, that is the number one theme of this passage. But I'm also going to be talking about the kingdom that is behind this redemption, the kingdom that is behind this promise, the kingdom that is always in the background as God works out his purposes and that that's an invitation to us. It's an invitation to us 
uh, as we walk into Christmas uh, to recognize God's purposes for us and his invitation into his purposes. So we're going to do that in three ways. First thing is we're going to look at the groom who comes into the fulfillment in chapter 4. Then we're going to look at the bride. And then we're going to look at the baby. And we're going to look at each of those in turn. So let's start with Boaz. And uh, as predicted by Naomi, and as shared last week by Jamie, the groom commits. And this is really the story of the first ten verses of the chapter. He moves purposefully uh, to redeem and to do what he promised to Ruth on the threshing floor that he would do. Now notice in the first four or five verses of this chapter, the idea of sitting comes five times. Uh, Boaz goes to the town gate and sat down. And then he said, come over my friend and sit down, the other guardian redeemer. And they went over and sat down. And then the ten elders of the town, Boaz invited them to come and sit here. So they sat down. And then Boaz brings the matter to the attention of everybody seated there. So five times the idea of sitting is mentioned. This has to do with authority. So I want to show you a picture of a gate. Uh, This is not the gate of Bethlehem. Uh, This is the gate of a of a city in the north of Israel called Tel Dan. And um, we're, 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 we've walked in through the first gate, and there is the inner courtyard, and on the left is a stone, looks like two stone steps, and that's where the king's throne is going to be, uh, where the king will personally have people coming and going in the city, and he will know who's involved and who's in and who's out. There'll be people out in this square selling stuff. And then on the right, if you can see it, there's a raised... It's in the line of the second step of the throne. There's a line of stones there. Uh, That's actually the seats for the elders. So there's room for the elders to sit there. So I want you to imagine them sitting down in in these seats at the gate. Now the gate is the place where All the transactions and legal matters of the village or town are discussed. The gate is the place where the king uh, controls access to who comes and goes. The gate is the place where mercy is dispensed, where uh, the decision might be taken to stone someone or not stone them. Uh, The gate is the place where someone could come who's a foreigner as as Lot did at Sodom and, and Gomorrah, and he was at the, the gate, and someone took him into their house. So this is the place of hospitality, the place of mercy, the place of legal transactions, the place of judicial transactions. It all happens right here. For a, for a picture of that, I'm gonna, you don't need to turn your Bibles there. I'm going to go over to Revelation 22:14 because it says there, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. So this is also a picture of the new Jerusalem. It'll look a lot nicer than this. But St. Peter will not be at the gates, at the pearly gates. No, Jesus, the king, will be at the gate and he will 
determine who has access to the city and who's not. And the condition is that they wash their robes, which will be a central part of today's story. So we'll come back to that. So put that in the back of your mind. So let's go back to Boaz. He yields to the closer relative. But this relative finds out the cost of redeeming this property and this woman. And he says, I'm not willing. The text says I'm not able. But what he really means by that is I'm not able to take the financial risk that would be involved. So he's not willing. But Boaz is willing to redeem. And Boaz gladly pays the ransom. Now that's literally the word there, the redemption word used there in verse 10. He is redeeming this property and these two widows. Now, he is paying the price. So in that sense, Boaz is just like Jesus. Boaz is paying the redemption price. In the very same way, Jesus comes as our kinsman redeemer and he willingly, he's able, he is our next of kin because he was born as a human being and he's willing to take the responsibility. So Jesus gives his blood to ransom or redeem us out of the slavery of our sin. Now watch this, because in exactly the same way, Ruth and Naomi cannot redeem themselves. They cannot come up with the resources to redeem themselves, so they need a substitute redeemer. They need a guardian redeemer to get them out of the pickle they're in. Well, in the very same way, you and I are caught in sin. And we are constantly doing our own thing, constantly uh, going against the purposes of God. And we are unable to save ourselves. There's no way we can do it. So uh, we are stuck. Because we can't build a fine enough family to be redeemed. We can't give enough philanthropy to be redeemed. We can't... uh, 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 behave well enough to be redeemed. We can't become a good enough person in our own power to be redeemed. And so we're stuck with this problem that we cannot redeem ourselves out of our condition of sin, whether it's manifested in addiction, uh, selfishness, any of the other things that we do, and we're unable to do it. So Jesus steps in, As the kinsman redeemer, he's willing to pay the price. And and so his blood is shed for the covering of our sin. So if a long time ago, Jesus is this new Boaz, if Jesus is this redemption, he makes it perfectly clear what it is. He says... In Matthew 10, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, he's going to give his life, the blood that he shed on the cross, for our ransom. Now, if we have ever begun a relationship with Jesus and we've 
invited him into our heart or we've, we've asked him to be our savior. But we haven't asked him to forgive our sin. If we haven't confessed our sin, if we haven't gone through that process of realizing, oh my gosh, he has covered all my sin with his blood. That is the basis of our relationship. It's not that he's our mascot or that he's our friend, because he is our friend, but it's that he is our savior, our redeemer, our kinsman redeemer, our guardian redeemer, whose blood covers our sin. And that, that's the good news. That's the good news. But if you have not recognized that and recognized your sin keeps you eternally separated from him, but his blood covers that sin and brings you into a ransomed relationship with him, then you have missed the point of why he came. And so I want to today make that crystal clear because this is one of the reasons the book of Ruth is in our Bibles, is for us to understand, can't redeem ourselves, need a kinsman redeemer, got to pay the ransom price, the ransom price was blood, and that's why he came. And in a sense, Christmas is a mission trip. It's a mission trip entered into by the Son of God to be willing to be born into a human form so that he could come, live a sinless life, be that perfect ransom price, and die for you and me. And so that is the basis of our relationship That is redemption, and that is the one thing that I want us to really get crystal clear from today's message. And as we have communion, I want us to experience it. And if we've never asked Jesus to forgive our sins, then I invite you to make today the day that you receive forgiveness for your sin. Go to our prayer teams, have communion, and know that without a doubt, you are part of the kingdom of God. If you are already walking with Jesus, then today's the day for cleansing and refreshment as we step into our destiny as his followers in his kingdom. So redemption and then kingdom destiny. Got it? Make sense? All right. And look, the other thing that's just a nice picture of how Jesus is very similar to Boaz is this next verse from Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Watch this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus, because that's what God looks like. And he's now holding everything together. But look at this. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He sat down as he redeemed his bride. And Boaz sat down and redeemed his bride. It's a picture of the finality and the authority of what Jesus did for us. So, the one thing I want us to stop right now and think about is, what does this redemption mean to me? And am I pursuing other kinds of redemptions? Some of us are pursuing the perfect family route to redemption. Some of us are pursuing the perfect 
career route to redemption. Some of us are pursuing the perfect education route to redemption. And the Holy Spirit is saying there are no other routes to redemption. He wants to cut them all off. He wants us to cut them all off and recognize that in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before he died, he was sweating blood out of his forehead. And he begged his father, he said, Dad, is there any other way to get this thing done? And the answer was no. There's no other way, nothing but the blood. And that is what is going on here in Ruth. The the redemption is a pointing to this nothing but the blood. I sang a little bit in the first service. I'm going to spare you that right now. But nothing... (laughs) but the blood. And so, the robes, the robes that we have, the sin that we have is washed clean by the blood. So back to Revelation twenty-two fourteen, and we say, blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of Christ, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Amen? So we're going to celebrate communion in a few minutes. And uh, we're going to celebrate that incredible news that God did for us by coming on that first Christmas. But let's look at two other things. Number two is the bride. The bride is blessed. Now remember, God promised that somebody would be born of the woman in Genesis chapter 3. So all these Jewish women across history want to have children because, first of all, children are a blessing. They're an asset. They're not a liability. But they know that the Messiah has to be born. So they want children. And this whole covenant community rejoices about this marriage. They rejoice that it's not a private affair. It's the whole village is involved. The whole town is involved in this. And they're blessing and they're praying over her that she would be like Rachel and Leah that brought children to, I think, eight, to, to Israel. Uh, they're telling her, would you have standing in Ephrathah? That whole statement there means a place of, Ephrathah means a place of fruitfulness so that you would be fruitful uh, and famous in Bethlehem, verse 11. And in verse 12, they say, Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be that, like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And now she's being blessed with all these generational blessings, and God is orchestrating the Messiah's family line through her. And not only that, but Jesus embeds this deep message about marriage here, where he says in John 14, the night that he was betrayed, look what he says. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am you know the way to the place where I am going because I'm the way. Well, he's really talking about marriage imagery. He's talking about 
the idea that the groom would propose to the bride-to-be, they would get engaged, the groom would go back home, he would build a room onto his father's house for him and his wife to live in and have some privacy, it would be an extended household, lots of people on the property, and, and then when he got, was ready, he would then go and get the bride and bring her back. So on his first trip, Jesus proposed. And we have the option of saying yes or no to him. But on the next trip, he's going to be coming back to get his bride. All those who have said yes and bring them back to his father's house, which is obviously now the new Jerusalem, the eternal abode that we will have. So marriage is a picture of the core biblical story. It's a picture of Jesus, the groom, and the church, the bride. So we had a wedding on Friday. Greg Schuler married Candace Grafton. And I told them, Greg, you're now in the drama as Jesus. And Candace, you're now in the drama as the bride of Christ. And how you two relate will be a picture to the whole world of the kingdom. That really brings us to the, to the question, for those of us now who are married, how can our marriage more beautifully reflect God's kingdom? How can our marriages reflect this undying love, this covenant commitment? How can we, as we think about Psalm 127, Psalm 128, how can we walk out this covenant of faithfulness and fruitfulness, and be a picture of Jesus in the church. You know, Joseph yielded his marriage to the purposes of God. He yielded this crazy idea that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He believed God. And then he yielded his rights to consummate their marriage until after Jesus was born. They had more kids, boys and girls, But his entire marriage was a picture of this thing that God wanted to do with the world. And he yielded to that. So similarly, each of us who is married and those of us who are thinking about being married need to have this picture for our marriage of what we can do as a married couple to serve together, to pour into others together, to be a picture of the kingdom and not be, not be working on another story over here uh, of happily ever after or whatever it is, but is to be in trials, difficulties, challenges, tears, but to always be the picture of the kingdom. So that's a call in our marriages uh, for us to think about as we think about next year How do we more beautifully reflect the kingdom of God in our marriages? All right, let's go to number three. The baby and the destiny that now comes out of this child, verses 13 to 22, grace continues to abound in Ruth's life. The blessing from above is poured out. She couldn't have a child in Moab, but she's able to have a child now. The generational line that you have is no accident. It's no accident. Now, in our Ruth family uh, 
uh, discussion guide for week four in Destiny, it says, draw or find pictures of important members in your family. People who have blessed you, and then write them a thank you note. Write them a thank you note. It, it, is, a, it is an acknowledgement that we, are, we have been built into by others along the way. And to take time to say thank you. Uh, but that generational line and those people who have grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts, uncles people that have built into you, that's no accident. And God's shaping your family line in exactly the same way. And, and God's looking for Boaz's. He's looking for Ruth's. He's looking for Naomi's. If you are like Naomi, if you are older, maybe you are alone by being a widow or you've been divorced or separated you still have a powerful role in your family. And that your prayers and your love and your showing up at events and your texting and texting Bible verses to, to your grandkids or nieces or, or nephews is part of this destiny that you've been called into in the kingdom. That your, your, your life is impacting those. And as you embrace God's grace, no matter where you are in that journey, he wants to raise you up into a spiritual patriarch or matriarch in your family. And you could be an uncle uh, who's single now or never married or an aunt or a grandmother who's divorced or, or a widow, and you can still have huge impact in your family line. And that's the, that's the story of Naomi. But he also wants Ruth's. He wants you young women to grow up into Sarah's. He wants you to be matriarchs. He wants you young men, Boaz's. He wants you to grow into Abraham's, who are generational sentinels for your family and speaking truth and love into them. In fact, he wants to plant oaks of righteousness. And he says this in Isaiah 61, a core passage for the gospel, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's still our calling. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's still our calling, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all the mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. That's still our calling. And to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. These are the things we need to keep reminding our families that this is what God is doing. This is what he wants to do. Even if it's bleak right now, he's going to bring beauty out of it. This is how, this is just how he is. And then ultimately he wants all of us to be called oaks of righteousness, to be planted for him, for his splendor. This generation, next generation, as far as you can see, oaks of righteousness, this is our calling and this is where this this family part of our lives together comes in. And God, I believe, is asking, how can he use you to redeem his family 
to redeem your family, your extended family member, and others around you. Because you, in Christ, have a calling to be agents of redemption in your families. One family that took this challenge on is Fernando and Yadira Perez. They lead the Casa Hogar Mama Palita in El Limon, Mexico. We visited there last week. 18 years ago, they took on the challenge of being the parents of this house. This is a a children's home that's existed for 60 years now. And they, in their 18 years of service, have loved on over 200 children. Now, they have their own daughter and son. So they moved as a family, into this mission 18 years ago. Their daughter and son are grown now, uh, but in that process, children have been raised up. And your mission giving, the giving mission, the mission giving of this church, has paid for the education of dozens of these kids through high school, college, and technical kinds of post-secondary education, and university, so that there are accountants and doctors, and dentists, and uh, nurses, and teachers who are now graduates of the Casa Hogar Mama Polita. There's 37 children there right now. Of the 11 staff members in the house, seven of them lived in the house, grew up in the house, went to college, and came back to be staff of the house. So this family, the Perez family, has yielded their family destiny into this calling that God had for them. They've put all of themselves into that. They have had challenges with their own biological family. God is working those out, but they've served these children. That's been their calling. And our destiny, whether we are grandmothers or grandfathers, whether we are uncles and aunts, whether we're Fathers and mothers is to pour into the families around us, our own, of course, but others, so that the kingdom, the kingdom is is give, so is is built and is poured into. So it it means that we need to ask the question: How would God use us to redeem our family, our extended family member, and others? And uh, Mary and Joseph did the same. Their family members, Jesus' brothers and sisters, thought he was out of his mind. And eventually, uh, through his life and death and resurrection, his brother James wrote the book of James, his, or stepbrother, I should say. His stepbrother Jude wrote the book of Jude. God wants to redeem through us. And so as you think about 2019, 2020, think about how God may want to use your family for the redemption of others around. And that is the essence of destiny portrayed in the book of Ruth. Destiny portrayed in the book of Ruth is that God will fulfill his purposes in our lives as we seek and trust and obey the true gospel, no matter what trials or detours may come our way. In Romans 8, Paul says it this way, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And in the letter to the Philippians, he gives this encouraging picture, especially for those of us who are wondering where God is right now, wondering what's going to happen. It says very clearly here that we should have hope because he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day, to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so the question, the last question is, how will God be calling you to step into your kingdom destiny, let's say in 2020? Where do you need to yield? Where do you need to walk in a fresh way with God? What about the scriptures? Where in the scriptures does God want to stir your heart? about giving or serving generously. And I want to make a specific calling because there's some of us here who will be called to missions, will be called to go. Maybe downtown, maybe Mexico, maybe somewhere else. But we need to be open to the fact that we serve a missionary God. And if Christmas is his mission trip then he may be using Christmas and this time of the year to call you on a mission trip. And maybe it's a trip for a week or maybe it's a calling uh, into making disciples in some concrete way. Uh, I don't know. But I know that he's a missional God and he's calling us to walk in our marriages, our families, and our lives into this destiny that he has prepared for us. So the worship team's going to come up and we're going to go into a time of reflecting on what we've just heard in this story and we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us. We're going to get our hearts ready to receive communion. I want to remind us that when we have communion, we are remembering that our guardian redeemer set us free and opened access to our eternal destiny by paying the ransom price to release us from our slavery to sin. So that uh, he did, according to Hebrews 9.12, in this way. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. Nope. But he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption for you and for me. So the miraculous grace of the guardian redeemer is upon us right now as he fills this place he's watching over our souls he is bidding us to come into the destiny that he's prepared for us in his kingdom and right now to make this really personal he's saying something like this i freely all forgive This blood is for your ransom paid. I died that you might live. So, Father, as we come into a time of communion, I ask that the uh, prayer servants would come up and uh, have communion and be ready to serve. I ask that those who have never understood the necessity of covering their sin with the blood of Christ by faith, 
would today make today the day that they say yes to their guardian redeemer. And for all of us who are following the Lord, I pray for fresh wind, fresh fire, that we would see and hear and feel and know our salvation in a refreshing, exhilarating way today. And Lord, as we have communion, that we would know that it was you, the guardian redeemer, telling us, I freely all forgive. This blood is for your ransom paid. I died that you might live. And Father, that we would see Christmas for what it really is, your mighty mission trip to come to us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So, Father, we thank you that on the night he was betrayed, he took the cup, he took the bread, gave thanks, gave it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, this is my body, which will be given for you. And similarly, he took the cup and gave thanks to you and said to his disciples, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you do this, do this in memory of me. Let us come to the table of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner today. In Jesus' name, amen.